Welcome to Confessions from a Dental Lab. This show is all about bringing you into the lab, beneath the surface, so you can see things, hear things, and understand things right from the source. Learn from longtime ceramists, dentists, and lab techs, both young and old. Without further ado, let's begin. Dr. Ashley Robinson, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. My name is KJ Eichsted. This is Confessions from a Dental Lab, the show where we take you beneath the surface right to the source so that together through these episodes, we can all get a little bit better. We love talking to dentists. We love talking to dental technicians, ceramists, uh, anyone interesting in the industry because there's just so much to uncover. And first question, Dr. Robinson, uh, would you mind introducing yourself, like who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Dr. Ashley Robinson. I am a house call dentist in Buffalo, New York. My practice is portable. So I practice in people's homes, people who cannot physically get out to go to the dental office. And aside from that, what I do is I share my experiences as a house call dentist on the Residential Movement podcast. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, This is our first time hosting a house call dentist. I know that the first thing I thought of is I've heard of you know, house call like barbers for high level athletes and stuff like that. I know um, I was connected to a professional soccer player and he was just telling me how his teammates, if they really liked the way someone would cut their hair, they would just say, hey, why don't you come over to the house? Um, It's probably a little more expensive. I really don't know too much about it, but maybe you can help fill us in. Uh, How I I guess how how different is it than maybe like an in-office dentist relative to like the patients you serve and then maybe like the the pricing and stuff like that. Do you have any control over that? So I'm not surprised to hear that you haven't had a house call dentist on your show only because (laughs) there are so few of them. It's really uncommon. It is not yet standard of care or normal practice. Most people, even though I've been practicing for years, they hear I do that. And dentists too, dentists and the general public, they're like, what? Like you offer house calls for dentistry. They've never heard of such a thing. And it isn't that it's new, Um, like that it's brand new or anything. People have been doing dental house calls for a very long time, but primarily in more affluent communities or just on like a limited basis, there are very few sustainable house call practices now, but hopefully we can change that in time so that when you and I are like, you know, if we're elderly or if we get in an accident and we have a disability or some special needs that someone can come to our house. So you're talking about how it's similar to, you know, like the barber. Yes, that's true. I, a lot of my patients have nail technicians who come into their homes or hairdressers who come into their homes, but also home health care, <laughs> like physical mm-hmm. therapists visit the house, speech pathologists visit the house, um, hospice nurses, VNA, mobile primary care. So it really isn't all that different than other in-home health care. Um, and it is modified, of course. What a, you know, a podiatrist on the road can do is much different than what a podiatrist in an office can do. And same with dentistry. Um, I'm not offering implants or aesthetic work. My patients at that stage of life or in that medical condition are not typically demanding those kind of procedures. So what we do on the road is primarily like healthcare, things you can think of that would make people more healthy with their oral health. So if they need an extraction, denture adjustment, cleaning, x-rays, exams, um, small restorations, things like that. Yeah, that is so fascinating. Uh, Like, do you have almost like a, like a vehicle. Like, I don't want to say like a van or like a truck, but I imagine you, you might have to carry some stuff with you. Yeah. It's funny you ask that. That's a really common question. Cause when people think of a, you know, a dental house call practice or portable dentistry, oftentimes people are picturing a mobile van because they've seen that before a mobile dental van. Sometimes will go to a place like a school or even an office, a workplace, and then employees on their lunch break can get, you know, their teeth cleaned or something for convenience. 
And that's people's perception of most mobile dentistry. But in my case, I actually have a really tiny Corolla that I drive around. I've had it since residency. I'm able to fill it with my equipment and then get out and go into people's homes because my patient population could never physically get out of their house and squeeze into a van. They're definitely homebound, bedbound, um, in their recliner, their bed, their wheelchair. So it's just better when I go and set up inside their house. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I imagine, um, you know, the equipment was just kind of something that was coming to my mind and, and going off what you said previously, uh, I, I imagine like a huge difference between even like the nail tech, the barber, the hairdresser is just like the, how important oral health is, right? Like you can't really, um, neglect it for too long. So, so oh, if these, yeah, if these patients are like bedridden or, or something, maybe they have a hard time moving as much, um, you know, dentistry is really important still. So, it's really cool to hear you're doing that. Well, thanks. It's funny you say that because you're right. When when people begin, let's say you assume care of a parent, right? You're a person and you're in your 50s. Now you're taking care of your loved one in their 80s. And all of a sudden, you're trying to take care of all their different needs. You're like, okay, I must you know, make sure that I know their medications in case they forget so I can help them. I need to make sure, obviously, everybody's bathed and toileted. And um, they take on a lot of responsibility if you're a caregiver. And almost the last thing you think about is oral health. Like you might not even know that your mom wears dentures. If they're a very private person, maybe you never even knew that. And um, getting oral health checkups for people at all stages of life, especially, you know, end of life care. And I'm mentioning that specifically because so many of my patients are older adults near the end of their life. Um, it's still very important. I have patients who are in hospice care who they're trying to enjoy their last couple of weeks with loved ones, but there's a broken tooth that keeps cutting their tongue. So oral health care is always in need at any age or stage if you have a mouth, whether or not you have teeth, you still need a dentist. You know, even people who have dentures, they have to be checked for thrush and things like that. So a dentist is always needed for a person, um, even when they can't leave the house. Yeah. And, and just just expanding on that even further, I was talking to someone the other day who um, they're doing better now, but they actually tore their Achilles. Ooh. And it's basically a long recovery. And, and what our conversation went to was just how you take so many things for granted, just the ability yeah. to be mobile and even just like going out to the grocery store, going out and driving and like walking places. And and I imagine like uh, the, the older people get, it's just those simple things in life that bring so much joy. Like, you know, maybe not everyone likes going to the dentist, but I imagine someone who, you know, maybe have has certain limited mobility would be like, I would give anything to be able to go to the dentist. And you kind of meet them right in the middle there and, and bring the dentistry to them. And I, I imagine that brings them joy as well. It does. It makes them, you know, re relief, joy, their gratitude. My patients are incredible. I mean, it's also a different relationship too. When I'm going into their home, I'm a guest, right? And I get to meet the entire family. And sometimes they're like, oh, do you want to stay for lunch? Can I get you water? Like, it's a very hospitable, friendly yes. environment. I don't have to rush. I'm not in a in an office with a waiting room full of people tapping their toes at me to hurry up. Everybody's happy that I'm there. I'll take my time. I can do very personalized, individualized care. Um, and so it's nice. It's a totally different environment. Um, they're very grateful, but I'm very grateful because my lifestyle is so different too as a house call dentist, not having to kind of deal with the certain challenges that an office might present. So I love working with individuals, their families, um, people of all, all ages, like I said, most are older adults, but some are young people with, with disabilities. And um, it's like what you and I were saying, like people take things for granted until they realize, you know, what you can't do anymore. So I, I have a patient who was in a terrible car accident in their thirties and has no dexterity in their hands anymore. So even brushing is a challenge. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's incredible, these patients and the work that I get to do. So I'm very grateful for it, but you did, you asked a question earlier and I'm realizing I never answered it. 
you were asking about pricing and things like that. Mm, yeah. um, and I'm thinking about it now because I'm describing to you how I don't have a waiting room full of people. I'm not in a high volume office environment. So the difference between um, making a living as a house call dentist versus you know an office dentist is that I see far fewer people every day. So yeah. you can imagine in an office, you can jam pack people in there, see people every 30 minutes. You can have hygiene going. You can have a room on the side for emergencies. Um, you can see so many more people in an office and therefore charge a lower rate or accept insurance or things like that. But when you're on the road and you're driving around trying to give every individual the time and attention that they need, even for small procedures like a cleaning or like, you know, small restoration, you do have to charge a premium in order to make the business sustainable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, you know, you made me think of another thing and that's patient acquisition, right? It's, it's a little different than maybe buying a practice and then kind of inheriting those patients or um, I want to ask, and it, it takes me into like my second question, just like how long have you been practicing dentistry? Can you tell us about your dental journey? And then like, how did you get into this? I think if you wouldn't mind just open-ended uh, taking that, however you'd like to take it and um, sure. sharing a little more of that. Yeah. So it's funny you ask, actually, I'm coming up on five years out of school now. <laughs> so it's kind of, uh, kind of crazy. It feels like it went Time by. Time really flies and you're having fun. Yeah, it does. So in 2019, I graduated dental school pre-COVID, which was perfect timing. I, my clinical rotations weren't modified. It was great. Hallelujah. So <laughs> right after that, I ended up doing a hospital residency. That was like my dream residency. And it was a level one trauma center and a social safety net hospital with a long-term care facility on campus. So I was seeing a ton of medically complex patients, patients with special needs, patients living in long-term care, and patients who were admitted to the hospital for, let's say, cardiac reasons who would need dental follow-up or clearances prior to surgeries or things like that. So when I was in this medically complex setting doing, I would say, more like healthcare type of dentistry versus like aesthetic or cosmetic, yes, um, I realized sometimes we would tell our patients who were leaving the hospital, you know, we would do all that we could for them while they're there. And then they would get discharged and we would say, make sure you follow up with your dentist when you get out. And I knew I like looked at my attendings and my coworkers. I said, how are they supposed to follow up with their dentist? Like they're not going to be able to get out of their house. They're not mobile. Their transportation for them requires an ambulance or a lit. Like how are they physically going to get there? And the answer was oftentimes they just didn't. In my community, there there is no other house call dentist. There hadn't been one. And no, like I said, I've been doing house call dentistry now for almost three years um, after I saw the need during my training. But even after three years, people are still shocked to hear like, oh my goodness, you we have a house call dentist because you were talking about patient acquisition. I acquire most of my patients through communities where people, you know, need in-home care. So the, you know, community members here in Western New York who know about dementia and know about um, Meals on Wheels and other services, word through there spreads like wildfire. But the general public, people who you know, as you mentioned, might take going to the dentist for granted. They wonder, you know, why would you even do house call dentistry? Who even needs that? Why is that, you know, a service that's even necessary? So my training in the hospital led me to notice this need in my community. And it took me about a year. I was working in public health right after that. Um, I took a year in public health. I saved up my cash. I worked nights and weekends and extra hours. And after, you know, working in a public health community for about a year, I was able to start my practice. That is so epic. I mean, you were kind of telling your story and just being in business, like I, I heard the gap in the market, right? Like you identified mm -hmm. the problem. And then my hunch was that it was going to be word of mouth. And you, you kind of confirmed that. I'm not sure if there was yes. some other other uh, stuff that might have 
been at play, but that is fascinating. I mean, and not only that, you said you're the only house call dentist in your area. That's a little bit of a bolt, right? So you have a great thing going. And uh, it seems like you're very young as well. So that's incredible. Very, very excited for you. Thank um, you. Yeah, it's great so far. And mostly I, I do think that there's room for more. It's funny. Um, dentists, luckily, you know, just through my mentorship or, you know, during school and post school, I notice in my area specifically, dentists are not they're wonderful people. They're not very competitive. I've had dentists who own practices open up their books to me and show me things and teach me things about business. And even in this community, if the, let's say there were to be another house call dentist, I'm sure we would both be busy enough. The same yeah. way every you know every chairside dentist is busy enough because there's just such a need. So it's wonderful. You know, I, I'm grateful to do it now, but it is wonderful to think about the future and expanding. Um, I'll bring on like a team member this year for the first time. So. There, there need to be more house call dentists. I am the only one at the moment, and I hope it doesn't stay that way because the need is just so, so high. And I, like I said, I can only see so many people a day as an individual. Yeah, and and another thing, as you're explaining this, that came to my mind is like you're very mission driven. Is it you know? And then um, I believe we got connected via Doctor Maestas. Is that right? Yes, yes, she's wonderful. Yeah, and you're both so mission driven. It makes perfect sense how. You know, we just having another great conversation. This is really a blessing. And um, yeah, I, it's funny. My third question was, what's one X factor that separates you from other dentists? And, and you've obviously got that big one. We've talked about this this whole episode. Like, do you have anything to add onto that, or should I, I move on to to the next? Oh, man, that's a funny. I mean, that's a funny question. I don't know what makes me makes me different, but I will agree with you that I think um, I always do try to lead with the mission in mind. You know, I I'm sure we, we're dentists and we're creative and a lot of us are entrepreneurial and we'll find a way to make a living, but it's more important for me because to, to follow like my mission, my calling I've, you know, like I said, that year before I started my practice, I was working full-time in public health and also nights and weekends in private practice, just anything I could to save up to start my business. And my experiences were just that I enjoyed those experiences, but I realized like they weren't for me, you know, like I didn't really want to be doing, yeah. um, like aesthetic cases my entire career. And it's interesting because every dentist is different. As you said, they all have a different factor, something they love to focus on. And it takes all kinds, right? We need dentists who can place a billion implants in, in two minutes. And we need dentists who can do amazing cosmetic, um, cosmetic or aesthetic work. But we also need dentists on the ground in people's homes or dentists in other alternative treatment areas. So it's just important that every dentist really should be mission-minded and do what they like because they're not going to starve. They'll earn a living, yeah. but you need to enjoy what you do. So, okay, this podcast, we definitely get really um, nitty gritty. We get deep. So as much as you'd like to share, and the reason I'm asking is not because I'm not only because I'm personally curious, but because I know you're, you have the potential to be a trendsetter and inspire a lot of dentists and dental students listening to this show right now. And once again, you don't have to answer this, but I think it would be fascinating for the audience is like, you mentioned saving up enough to start your first business. Like roughly what was that number that was just necessary to kind of start this house call thing you're doing right now? Oh, no, I'm happy to share. I'm glad you asked because I think that's exactly, you know, even in my podcast, I just I want to encourage more people to get into the field, students, dentists. And it's funny, people come out of school with a lot of debt and yep. then a lot of dentists want to be practice owners. And they're taught that that's the most lucrative way to earn a living is to acquire a practice. Well, Acquiring a practice when you have student loan debt doesn't usually mean you write a check. It usually means you go to the bank and you take out another student loan payment, right? Like these mm -hmm. people have to finance, you know, you have more than a mortgage when you go and buy a, a, a standalone dental practice. But to get started in house call dentistry, I'd say it's a very low barrier to entry because you're not investing in a physical space. You don't have a huge team. You're just buying equipment. 
And depending on how much or how high tech you want to go, you can start your practice from anywhere between 30 to 50 K. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's very, um, I was going to guess a hundred, but that's fascinating. I mean, you could, you could spend, like you could, you know, you could buy the latest and greatest and all the name brand. You could spend as much as you wanted, but let's say you're on a shoestring budget. You're a new dentist out of school or a young grad who's trying to make a living without going into much debt. You can get started for that amount of money. Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for sharing that. I imagine you just lit up a bunch of listeners. uh, I hope so. I'm grateful you asked. Well, that's like much less scary than like, let's say I'm hearing the numbers I'm hearing is that dental students are graduating with anywhere from 200 to 400 K in debt. And then, you know, practice adding on, yeah, adding on more to that, like 30 to 50 K, even up to hundred K is a lot more manageable and a lot less scary of like, in terms of like a boogeyman, right? Absolutely. Um, let's say you lose it. Like, let's say you, you know, put 30 K in and you have zero patients. I doubt that would happen, but let's say that happens that's a call to stupid tax in the course of your yep. lifetime, you know, like whatever it's, it's worth a shot. Um, but what do you I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because there's upside and there's also minimizing risk. So depending yeah. on people's personalities, I I'm really enjoying this conversation. I think there's a lot to take away. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to maybe, I'm going to ask a couple more questions and we'll wrap up here. I know you got maybe five, 10 more minutes, no, but feel free. Um, what's one thing your patients have taught you over the years? Oh man, my patients. I love my patients. They've, I've, they've taught me, um, something that might be controversial and I, I can't say it's right for everybody, but they've taught me the value of having people cared for at home. Now I completely acknowledge there are certain cases in which, um, loved ones or family members need to live in a care facility where professionals are available to them for care and they need to live outside of the home for their own safety. And in those cases, of course, people should go where they get the best care. But it's fun. I've seen a lot of multi-generational households in my practice, um, people living with grandparents, people living with family. And it's amazing because you it's like you can tell. You can tell the difference in the demeanor and the happiness the and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I never I was very indifferent before. I didn't have a lot of exposure to these communities, even in my own family, um, because my grandparents are young. Um, I'm blessed that way, but I just interacting with so many families, multi-generational families, it makes me curious about my future, right? Like what are my future goals and plans and what are things I'd like to talk to my family members about and how to keep, you know, my parents happy and safe as they age. So something that I even want to invest in, in my personal life might be, you know, being more of a a caregiver to it myself. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like family is one of those things where it's really, truly one of your greatest investments and mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to even quantify. So it's it, at the very least, it's good to think about. Right. Right. Um, we should all think about it. And like I said, it's not it's different for everybody. Like some people are not equipped to care for their loved ones. Their loved ones must be in assisted living or in senior communities. And I totally acknowledge that. And I wouldn't judge ever. But I do see when you're able to, if you're, if it's safe and if it's, you know, feasible, it's really nice when families can stay together. Amen. Amen. So how about this? How important is it to work with a good dental lab and why is that so important for dentists? I'm so glad you asked. And I was hoping you would, cause I know that's what you guys are all, are all about. Um, I love my dental lab. I work very closely with them and they, luckily they're very localized to me. Like I'm, I'm in a very central um, area with a lot of little dental labs in town here. And I, think it's super, super important because I'm a house call dentist. I don't have a physical office where a lab technician would pick up or drop off something. I'm able to go speak to my, my lab tech, show them my impressions. 
sometimes when I'm working with patients who, let's say, have dementia or some cognitive ability, cognitive um, decline, then I like to explain some things when I, you know, bring my cases up like, hey, can we treatment plan this this way? Or can we make this kind of modification so it's easier for this person to get this prosthetic in and out? Or just even talk about impressions. Um, I think the relationship that I have with my lab tech is a huge asset for my practice. Um, And also the turnaround time and just the communication, keeping that open with them is awesome. And now, you know, I think I, I'm not, I don't think I answered the last part of your question there. I might need you to repeat that for me. Oh, just, <laughs> so just how important is it to work with a good dental app and why? I mean, for you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I imagine like you're in the house, you really can't afford to have something not fit, right? So it's almost mm-hmm. like you got to have the quality, um, everything. Oh, you're right. I mean, that's, that's something too. Like, you know, my, I love my relationship with my lab, but also, yes, I needed to be done right. And that's why I spend so much time investing in that relationship. Because as you said, if somebody needs an adjustment, I'm driving to their home, spending time in their home, setting up in their home, adjusting in their home for something that in an office might take a dentist two seconds, you know? So I need to make sure I'm minimizing my adjustment time and I'm making the most of those appointments, you know, when I'm with patients. So this next question is fascinating because I've talked to a lot of dentists on this show um, and in our own community, and you've almost opened up a new epiphany for me. I've always been able to to forecast trends really well, but it's what do you think the future of dentistry looks like 10 years from now? And I almost want to, I, I don't want to necessarily be right or wrong on this, but it's like there's this big DSO trend. And is it going to be like in the future where there's still going to be some private practices, but is it going to be like primarily house called dentistry or DSO with maybe a few practices in between? I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Oh, wow. Good question. I do see the DSO trend. I mean, that's kind of um, fewer dentists are interested in being self-employed due to their debt load. They're really interested in clinical practice and not owning private practices. So I do see that trend happening. I don't know if that's, you know, for better or for worse. It, yeah. Kind of see what happened in medicine here where there's very few self-employed physicians and they're really kind of at the mercy of the insurance reimbursement for that reason. Um, so that makes, that kind of limits options for patients sometimes, but that's, that's, you know, whatever about chair side practice, maybe definitely the growth of DSOs and we'll see what comes of that. But as far as house call dentistry goes, I hope that there are more house call dentists period, at least in private practice, I can't imagine a DSO. Well, there are DSOs who offer portable and house call dentistry, um, generally to areas where it's higher volume. So there are assisted living communities who, you know, contract with portable or mobile dentists to come into their facilities and in their communities. Um, And I do think that that'll grow more and more. Now, will people who are house call dentists, will they be self-employed or will they work for these big groups? That's a really good question. I think it depends on, yeah, I think that happens you know, I don't know what's going to happen there. I think there are always going to be people who want their own practice and want to make their own schedule and things like that. And house call dentistry really allows you to do that. Um, If you become an employee of a DSO, but you're still driving around and you're still doing all of this, I I wonder if there's enough incentive. Yeah. If the, if a DSO could provide enough like fulfillment almost um, that, but even financially, right? Like if you have a DSO and you have administrators and all the overhead and you accept all these insurances, how do you compensate a dentist for their time on the road if they're only seeing, you know, three to five patients a day? And and 
it's like a scalability thing that I wonder about. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, we could have we could expand this conversation, but it's it's interesting because we work with the Packers dentist, and I know you're in Buffalo, so I imagine Bill's mania is going crazy. <laughs> um, but it's like the players seem to really genuinely like they at least make a smile when he posts a picture, you know, like I think right. they enjoy going to the dentist, but like if you've got the means, right. Like, wouldn't it be nicer if you're like, let's just say like these, like the Buffalo bills, like, like I, I imagine you could be the team dentist for all of them. And um, they probably already have one, but like, it's just interesting. That's kind of, I'm, I'm projecting towards the future. Very interesting to talk about. Uh, last yeah. question, because I know you got to run, any advice you would give the dentist to maximize success in 2024 and beyond? And then furthermore, do you have any goals for the future? Really good question. Well, for other dentists, my advice would just be pursue your personal mission. Decide like why you're here and what you need to do to take care of people because you'll you'll do it very well, whatever your your niche is in dentistry, whatever you feel called to do, like pursue that and everything else will take care of itself. Um, as far as personal goals for 2024 and beyond, as I mentioned, we're bringing on our first team member here. So my goal is always to make dental home care very normal, accessible, unremarkable. So that by the time I might, you know, need to be a a dental home care patient, it's completely normal that a dentist or, you know, dental provider would be in my home and it's nothing that anyone would be surprised about. Um, So that's my goal. But in the short term, bringing on a new team member, um, just so exciting. Yep. I have um, a little one on the way in a couple of days here. I'll Ooh, oh, that's right. I'm glad we can squeeze this in. <laughs> yeah. So learning, um, you know, that, that, di- you know, being able to balance everything will be really fun for me and yeah, just growing a comma dental is that's the name of my practice here. So just making, you know, Buffalo, New York, an area where people who, who need dental home care can easily get it. Amazing. I've really enjoyed this, Dr. Robinson. Any final thoughts? No, thank you for, I love your show. Thanks for having me on. And I think it's cool that, you know, you mentioned before the, the bills players, Mobile dentistry, the way that I view it is I view it as an alternative to no care. I advise people who can go to the dentist to go. If they're physically able, please go there. That's where the CBCTs live. That's where the CEREC machines are. I'm not you know, arguing that in-home dentistry is a substitute for chair-side dentistry, but just that it should exist as an alternative to no care for all the people who can't get there. So when I think about the bills, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, they're better off probably going to an office. <laughs> but there are yeah. so many people who just can't. And there's so many people who will never be able to. And they still need a dentist. So we got to figure that out. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. I, I just want to say this has been a great conversation with Dr. Ashley Robinson. She is the house call dentist. Uh, what a fantastic show. We'll probably have to have you on again sometime. Thank you so much. My name is KJ said This has been another great episode of Confessions from a Dental Lab. Easiest way to help the show is just text it to one friend out there. Together, we can all get a little bit better. So thanks so much, Dr. Robinson. We'll catch everybody next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Confessions from a Dental Lab. If you'd like to contact the show, simply send us an email at dentallabpodcast at gmail.com. You can also get in touch with us at life at newartdental on Instagram. Thank you for listening once again. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe and tell a friend. And until next time, we're out.